Hello, and welcome to the Box in One podcast, a podcast discussing sports and culture through the lens of the gospel. My name is John Richards, and I'm your co-host today, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Chris Lassiter and Jeremy Hartman. Welcome to episode 25 of the Box in One podcast. We are back, and I'm very excited to be back with my boys, C. Lass and Jay Hart. What's up, fellas? What up? what up, Jay? So we got some stuff we need to be talking about uh, on this particular episode, and we're just going to dive right in. Obviously, all three of us are NBA heads. We love the National Basketball Association, and it's in full swing at this point. Uh, the season is definitely in full swing, and we have some storylines in this season that we're probably going to be talking about in later episodes, MVP, best team, um, and other things. But this go round, we wanted to talk about the surprise storyline early in this NBA season. What storyline do you look at and say, I would have never thought that would have been happening this early in the season? What do you guys think? What's your surprise storyline of the 2016 NBA season? I'll go real fast. And it's just, um, <laughs> I think all of us, in pickup realms or on a team have played with somebody like a James Harden. Uh, very good on the offensive side of the ball and very good on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so when they told me they was moving him to point guard, I was like, this is about to be pure comedy because he is a shooting guard if I've ever seen one. But he's actually played really well at the point guard position when he's been on the ball. Kind of, he kind of holds the ball anyway when he's not on the point, so that's not surprising. He's great off of the dribble, but he's played well in that position, uh, which has been very surprising to me in the moments that he's played on the point. So that's probably been the most. I was just prepared to laugh a lot, but he's actually played really well at that position. James Harden got you, huh? Got him. It had to be. It has to be Dwight Howard's absence, right? Bro, I don't know. I thought he would. I thought he'd make a little bit more noise in Atlanta, and I thought the Celtics getting those uh, bigs would take a step forward too. That's been surprising in the wrong direction. I guess the Mavericks have too, but I think Harden just um, playing point guard. I was just because I'm a point guard, so the idea of me and James Harden have the same mindset just was laughable to me. Uh, but he's played really well there, so that's my answer. Yo, that's a good one. So you you alluded to mine which is I am in disbelief when I look at the bottom of the NBA standings because I, especially in the Western Conference, I actually expected the Lakers to be there. But who am I looking at but the Dallas Mavericks? They've won four games up until this point. So they go out and sign some pretty good free agents. I mean, they have Wesley Matthews. They got Harrison Barnes from, from Golden State. And Dirk's missed some time. And you got to think, like, because Dirk is getting older, like, his absence doesn't really hurt them as much, but it looks like it, it really is. So I feel bad for the Mavs. I feel bad for Mark Cuban because apparently players don't want to go play for him. He's, he's willing to give max deals out, and then he gives them out to the wrong people. Now they're sitting at four wins with an aging Dirk Nowitzki, and he's kind of not sure when he's going to come back. So the Mavs, who started on my radar as a potential playoff team, eight seed, 
are now cellar dwellers and looking like a lottery team right now. I am shocked. I am in disbelief. Just shocked. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I'm going to go with three guys that are having, I don't know if you call it surprisingly good years, um, but guys that kind of fly under the radar but are having tremendous years. I'm going to start in Chicago with Taj Gibson, who's quietly having a tremendous year uh, playing power forward for them. There's no Joakim Noah, you know, sitting back there taking minutes. Um, The other night against Cleveland, he played so well. Um, He's been putting in work. Jimmy Butler made mention of him putting in work over the summer. Um, So he's having a surprisingly good season. A guy down in Charlotte who I think should be an all-star this year, Kimball Walker, who is playing lights out, phenomenal. Um, And Jay Rich, one of your boys up in Milwaukee, the Greek freak. He is Giannis. He is he's going nuts. People are like, we've never seen anything like this. Um, I think he's gonna be a special, special talent. Um, you know, for years to come, um, just with his size and his ability. So he's still those, 21. I know, right? Like it's it's crazy. Um, he's about to so turn 22 like next week. Those three guys are like flying, I won't necessarily say flying under the radar per se, but they're they're quietly putting in work and having career years, and it kind of all gets lost in the Golden State Cleveland shuffle. Um, who's gonna you know beat who? And Kevin Durant, and Russell Westbrook, averaging a triple double, that type of stuff. So those three guys are flying under the radar. So that's those are my surprises um, thus far this NBA season. Love Giannis, man. That's definitely one of my boys. He, he's on the squad. He's on the Jay Rich. Um, all-star team for me man that yeah that was, those are definitely some surprising surprising storylines i'm sure we'll have many many more um for the season when the season comes i know that <laughs> surprisingly jr smith is doing jr smith things as is javelle mcgee and that's that's always that ain't surprising bro <laughs> that ain't surprising bro he dabbed uh, up his homie and let somebody get a layup while he was dapping up his homie in the game. I mean, that's, I guess, right. You're right. That's J.R. Smith. And then he treats real NBA games like Rucker Park, fam. That's like, what's what up. What can you say to that? That's what's up. And he got rings. So what can you say? If you the other boy, do you feel bad? Like, if that's your man and you was like, yo, I didn't mean to get you in trouble with your coach, cuz. Like, <laughs> yo, Jason Terry did that on purpose, man. That's what I was about to say. Jason Terry is a veteran, man. He's like 46. So he's like, man, I'm about to get these these buckets on the bench. Somebody about to get me a bucket. Plus, his last highlight was him getting dunked on by LeBron. That was the worst. That was the worst. That was the best. That that was the end of Jason Terry as we knew him. He got impaled. Impaled. Okay, so for our next story, we're we're headed down to um, the New Orleans area. And many of us have probably seen the news story, but we remember this guy from USC who was highly recruited by Pete Carroll, I think around 2009-ish, and he was one of the top running backs in the nation. And he was doing some Reggie Bush-like stuff out at USC. Got drafted by the Jets, played in Canada for a couple of years, um, bounced around a couple of different leagues. But played Joe, for my Chiefs. Yeah, yeah, he played for the Chiefs too. 
So Joe McKnight was a beast. He was definitely a beast. But we discovered or found out on December 1st that he was shot and killed while in New Orleans in an incident that they are dubbing road rage by a gentleman by the name of Ronald Gasser, who was 54 years old. It's just a, a heartbreaking, terrible story. A lot of the players were tweeting out condolences, um, just just appreciating McKnight for who he was. But the story is just kind of strange. Like there are several different versions. And then the police didn't quite arrest the guy. He stayed at the scene. He went to the police station and then they released him. So a couple of days, a day or so later, the uh, police chief or police representative said that they're still, is still under investigation. So uh, a lot of people are upset about that. I just want to kind of get you guys' initial thoughts on this situation. Obviously, we know that Louisiana is a stand-your-ground state, which kind of conjures up thoughts of Trayvon Martin. But what are you guys thinking? How are you processing this? Well, you know, my first thought was it was incredibly sad um, because I think, what, that's the second time that there's been an NFL player in Louisiana um, that has been killed by an apparent road rage incident. I think it was Will Smith for the Saints that was killed a few years back um, in a similar incident. Um, you know, it's just people are crazy, man. You just don't know and you don't know what transpired. Um, I think it's interesting that the guy stayed on the scene, turned in his weapon, was like, yep, I shot him. Um, it'll be curious to see how it all, you know, plays out legally and exactly what all transpired. It's just, it's sad. It's incredibly sad to me, but also having lived in the uh, DC metro area for a few years and having to drive in traffic, like I've seen incidents of road rage and like people just snap. So um, you, you never know what's going to happen. Somebody cuts you off and next thing you know, you know, somebody ends up dead. So I just thought it was incredibly sad. Um, I think Tyran Matthew um, had a, a quote where, or it was something on Twitter where he said, everybody wanted to be like Reggie Bush, but in New Orleans and Louisiana, everybody wanted to be like Joe McKnight. So that kind of spoke to uh, his talent and his ability. Like everybody looked up to him. So I just wow. thought it was incredibly sad. That says a lot. Wow. So for me, um, I just thought my my initial thought was, could the timing of something like this in America have been any worse? Like name a time where like you just like, man, what we really needed to do was something like the exact opposite of this story to kind of start feeling like, all right, uh, we're post election and we can start seeing if we can make some headways, regardless of what you think politically. Um, I think everybody would feel better if we felt like we knew this country could just move forward. And you kind of was hoping like something would come about that would be the opposite of this. But what we got was just tragedy. And then you see um, just people are fearful of the direction uh, we're going from a cultural standpoint. Um, and then just to see like, I don't know, I just don't feel like for me personally, I could shoot somebody and then just chill at the scene. Like if, even if it escalated and I felt like I was defending myself, the fact that I had taken another person's life probably would jar me. Like, I feel like even if I was sitting there, I probably would be sobbing or my head would be in my lap. I would have been like, man, why did it have to be like this? 
but there was just so much imagery with the story that was jarring to me. Uh, just the calmness of just, hey, I shot him. He's dead. And just kind of sitting there and then um, just being released so quickly. And I know, um, John, we would all defer to you as the legal expert. But as somebody who's worked in a journalism field, like I've never seen uh, somebody get home so quickly. Um, just question quickly, like anytime that there's a death involved, typically bail is hard to reach. And um, like prisons, jails are full of innocent people that are just awaiting trial, especially when they are serious offenses and when they're um, violent offenses. So the whole thing was kind of heartbreaking to me, saddening to me. And um, I hope I hope we just don't have a ton of these stories. And just to think, like, here's an NFL guy. Like, it kind of made you feel more vulnerable. Like, man, if they're just out shooting, like, NFL athletes, like, what chance do I have? Like, they're just – it was sad, man. It was really hard for me. Yeah, it's – I don't even know what to say, how to say, when to say. But I know one of the things that is troubling or disheartening for me is the number of states that do have stand your ground laws. Now, I understand the letter of the law um, or the, yeah, the letter of the law. But then when you look at the spirit of the law and how it plays out, um, it's not a good look. <laughs> it really is not. You know, there are some some facts out there that said he was boxed in, which means that he had nowhere to go. Um, so I'm pretty sure some of that will will come out during the investigation, because this is a road rage incident. As as Jay Hart said, it happens all the time. Like people get upset with us for driving um, mistakes or failures. Can you imagine if that was one of us? But I just don't like the fact that so many states have this law in place. I understand what it was intended to do, but when you look at the scoreboard, it's just you're seeing at least a couple of prominent cases where black men are killed um, because this law in place is in place. So that's one of the things that that just kind of tears me up about that. And I'm all for the duty to retreat. I, I don't like the whole stand your ground thing. So um, that's just kind of my perspective on it, especially from a, a jurist to someone who's in, in the legal community. So, um, continued prayers to Joe McKnight's family, um, even to Ronald Gass's family as they kind of deal with this, and even continued prayers for our country. As you mentioned, Celas, this is just <laughs> the worst timing, the worst thing that could happen now, and I just hope that um, that we can handle the situation in a way that, um, especially as a Christian community honors God. Yeah, I think I was watching this unfold on Twitter right at the same time where I was watching South Carolina, the jury kind of get deadlocked and have to go into recess over the weekend and the Walter Scott whole thing with him and the officer there. So with just keeping an eye on both of those things, man, it was just really hard. It was really um, depressing and um, just find myself needing to go back and back to the gospel and that promise in Colossians 120 um, becomes so precious then, right? Like that Christ is restoring all things to himself through the cross. 
and um that 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 means all the more when you watch the world just kind of in a chaotic state yeah amen so as we enter this holiday season we wanted to talk about something that a lot of people don't really think through as an opportunity to share christ um during this season but the fact that during christmas we'll probably see a lot of family members and a lot of family members do not know christ and are not saved or even friends and loved ones during this season um it might be a good idea to to think through ways where you can have winsome holiday conversations about christ and the gospel now a lot of people are a little bit nervous about sharing the gospel um, and a lot of them feel like they don't know how to but i think i think personally that the holiday season is one of the easiest times for one to share the gospel i think there's a couple of reasons why one um, people are in the holiday spirit how whether that means one thing for one person or one thing for another uh it seems like people get a little bit more nice around christmas so i think that people are more open open to hearing the gospel um secondly i just think that natural conversations that you have with families and friends kind of have that faith dna in them to naturally lead to those conversations we have a evangelist on staff at the billy graham center for evangelism his name is jerry root and he talks about this talks about winsome holiday evangelism and offer some suggestions last week to some of the students which i thought were pretty cool uh, one of which was hey what what movies are people watching around the holidays and he said one of the questions that he really asked um, people when they talk about movies is hey what character do you see yourself in and why um, what kind of features do you feel like that character entails that makes makes them remind them of yourself and having those conversations and pushing them towards self-evaluation, um, I thought that was a really good suggestion for um, looking at trying to do some winsome holiday evangelism. So I wanted to ask you guys, um, what are your thoughts on that whole subject matter? I mean, holidays are huge for families, but do we do enough evangelism during that time? And how can we do it winsomely? So for me, I think about that. Um, in a couple of ways, I think there is that call in First Peter three fifteen, where we're always to be ready, and then in Timothy, like in season, out of season. So I think about my neighborhood a lot too, and just um, I read that paper that you sent us, Jay Rich, and I think one of the things I really want to do um, is be a good witness. You know what I'm saying all year round. So when there are seasons when people are more open, that my lifestyle has opened up a door. Um, so for me, like it's it's such a little thing, but in my neighborhood, I'm thinking, um, like I'm always gonna defer parking spots, which are at a premium premium in my neighborhood, because that's gonna open up a door for the gospel later. If they could see, like I was humble enough to walk the few extra steps to my home and let them have the preferred parking spot. It's just something that simple that I know might be in something that I can adorn the gospel with. Just a simple act of charity and love that um hey nah you could park there i'll park down the street a little bit um, a little bit further from my house but um one day like that will 
make the gospel look beautiful to you. And in a season when everybody's um, celebrating, like it might be a little bit easier to invite that person um, to church. Um, I don't know if you've ever done anything. I've done some uh, seminary studies on evangelism. And one thing that they said, and I think it was in the thing that you sent us too, was just letter writing. And if you're going to send a Christmas card anyway, um, just include the gospel in it with an invitation uh, to church. So I've done some of that where I've just said, like, hey, here's what I believe. Here's what it's meant to me. Here's why I'm sharing it, because it's that important to me. Handwrite it. Don't never type it. Just always handwritten. Those type of things. I just want to seize opportunities where we're communicating anywhere to share uh, the thing that's the most important in my life. So I do think about that and I do try to seize opportunities and out a few mixtapes here and there, some CHH, um, really try to be bold, pray for open doors. I love that part of the article you shared where it just said, um, the people who pray seem to have the most, uh, what did it say? The people who pray seem to have the most coincidences. Yeah, oh, it said yeah the yeah. people who uh, pray the most seem to have the most coincidences. So yeah. I do, I try to pray in that season in my neighborhood and my family. People, I'm, I'm just a good gospel light and I'm making the most of opportunities and I'm being strategic and I'm creating opportunities, um, books, sharing the gospel, um, inviting people to do things and centering that activity around the gospel. So kind of have a strategy for this season. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I think one of the things that <clears throat> I really try to do is just to be a good servant. Um you know, whether it's to folks in my neighborhood or, you know, to family or friends or even, you know, just being uh, demonstrating to my children what it means to be a good servant. Um, and in fact, you know, my wife had a Christmas party yesterday, um, you know, and, and it's like the whole family's got to go. And there there was a time when I was like, why do I have to go? I just want to stay home, watch the football game. Um, but I also have children now who are, are seeing how I react um, and, you know, just putting on the good faith the good face and, and saying, Hey, you know, this is the opportunity for us and to go meet people and to talk to people and really just praying for open doors in those situations. Um, and one of the things that I do is she likes to make her famous homemade cinnamon rolls and she makes a bunch of batches and we kind of take them around to folks that, you know, we feel like, hey, they could really use this as a pick me up and we'll go visit and drop off little Christmas gifts or um, cinnamon rolls with folks and stop and chit chat. So that's one of the ways we try to have open doors with convert for conversations um, around Christmas is usually spent with my family, um, with my wife's family, who, you know, everybody is a believer. So we usually have the uh, Christmas morning brunch. And my father-in-law reads um, the story about the birth of Christ and, and you know, those type of things. But we, we really just try to do it by being servants and being examples, as Chris said, um, and just trying to put on that, that face and have that light shining so people can say, hey, you know, why are you so happy? What's, you know, what's good? And just really pray for opportunities to share. Um, in fact, I have to kind of pray for myself when I go out to the store to buy Christmas gifts. Like, okay, Lord, I know it's going to be crazy. So just open up a door opportunity for me to meet somebody or to talk with somebody about things. And it's amazing um, kind of what happens when you do pray for those opportunities. And 
Um, you, you have to be very vigilant and aware because sometimes the opportunity will present itself and you won't realize it until later and you've missed it. So you kind of have to really be aware if you're going to pray that you, you got to really be aware of what's going on and, and really take those opportunities when they're there. And, and this is from the do better Chronicles and this is probably a confession, but I'm probably going to do Christmas lights this year. I never do them, but my entire neighborhood is, and this is part of that evangelistic effort. And I'm praying, I'm praising God for the laser lights because I'm not hanging any. We get about four of those things, but those lasers on the house, Wait, we're, you, we're good to go. You mean you're not Clark Griswold? No, sir. You, you will not see me. <laughs> you will not see me getting hurt, buddy. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Hey, Rich. Come on, fam. Hey, I heard you the other day talking about untangling lights, man. Forget all that nonsense. Lasers are where is that? Get you some laser lights. Walmart, $34.99. I'm about okay. to go get some tomorrow. <laughs> okay, so there are there are some epic moments in black television history. Okay. When you say good times and you talk about epic moment, you gotta go with your girl, Florida Evans, in that scene. I don't even have to say the words because we know them. As soon as I said it, your mind went straight there. Will Smith hanging out with Uncle Phil, wondering why his daddy don't love him. Also a great meme, too. But there's also one moment in Martin that we want to talk about for Sorry We Missed That this week. And it is a sneakerhead moment. I'm going to let Chris Laster tell me about it. Word. So if you guys all remember that one scene in Martin, and I wasn't the guy who had to watch every episode of Martin, just enough to know the main characters i've seen it enough but the one episode that um sticks out just for like where things just kind of got deep and emotional kind of like that florida evans moment is uh martin is sitting with this kid and i think they're the jordan eights don't don't quote me on that but martin's got them on and the kids got on some busted shoes and they're just chatting and um you can see martin kind of pointing up to it and he's asking the kid a couple questions and he slides in a question about what side of his shoes he wears. And um, he takes off his shoes. And, and the kid's got on busted shoes. And Martin hands him the shoes. The kid says, I can't take them. I know how much they cost. And Martin says, ah, it doesn't matter how much they cost if they're from the heart. These are from the heart. And he hands the kids the Jordans. Now, I don't know who can watch that. The toughest guy will have to shed a thug tear in that moment. And for me, every time I see something like that, it's a picture of the gospel where um, Christ who was high came low for us. Second uh, Corinthians 521, that great exchange. Uh, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Um, and he, he exchanges. We talk about that double imputation um, where uh, God treats Christ like we deserve to be treated so he could treat us like Christ deserves to be treated so. Not only is that scene in itself emotional, but what it points to for me get, is emotional too. Um, just that double exchange at the cross. So uh, that's a great moment. I got to rank that right up there with Florida Evans and Will Smith crying on Uncle Phil asking why his dad doesn't want him, man. So that's right up there for me. Let me find out Jesus took off the Jays and put on the British Knights. Hey, why hey. are you always dissing British Knights, yo? <laughs> hey, and Chris. Come on now, you you need you gonna have to pick up your sneaker or sneaker game history, man. That those were twelves. They were the Jordan twelves, not the eights, bro. 
How many how many numbers are there, man? Do I need can I can it's I like, ask that? Hold, they like is it thirty? Uh, I know it's thirty for sure now. That's ridiculous, man. I had yeah. the I had the North Carolina blue ones. Which ones are those? Well, there were several it North depends. Carolina blue ones. <laughs> well, I don't know, man. They were I blue. I thought you like Jordans. I don't. I had to buy them because it was the only pair in the store, and they matched my jersey. Right. <laughs> I was more of a phone posit guy. So there's actually and, thirty. There's thirty one J's now. The thirty ones were just released this year. So wow. That's just ridiculous. I like the pennies and the phone posits. When I was a sneakerhead, but I got kids now, so that's okay. I see you in your British nights. <laughs> oh. All right. So this segment is called "What We're Reading and What We're Listening To," where we share with our readers some of the things that we're listening to and some of the things that we are reading over this past week. And I will begin. I'm listening to. Chris Tomlin's Glory in the Highest album, and my favorite song on there is Winter Snow, which we've had our first one here in Chicago today. Talks about the incarnation and how Jesus came as is as if he was a winter snow without any acclaim. Um, and talks about that servanthood that you were talking about earlier. It's just an amazing song. And what I'm reading is I'm still reading Walter Martin's Kingdom of Cults. I'm preparing for a intro to apologetics and cults course that I'm teaching at the church I formerly attended uh, in the winter. So looking forward to teaching that class. What about you guys? What you li- what you listening to? What you reading? Well, you know I'm a huge CHH fan, but uh, in in the Christmas season we took a break, and one of the traditions in our house is we go look at all the Christmas lights in Staten where we live. They got a huge park that's really um, kind of like a, a drawing thing for the community and they decorate the whole park with lights and you can drive through it. It's open until about 11 o'clock at night and lots of people go all out with the lights in our communities. So the tradition in our family is we grab an audio book, Jay Rich, because we love fiction in the Lassiter home. And so we're listening to a book called The Greatest Christmas Pageant Ever and riding around looking at Christmas lights. we got a few chapters left. But what's amazing about this book is it also focuses on telling the story of the incarnation in an amazing way. So these uh, some really hood kids get invited into the church Sunday school Christmas play and they've never heard the gospel before. So these kids got all types of questions. And what it does is it shows us how easily we can lose the wonder of the incarnation if we just get so used to it. But it does it in a brilliant way that only fiction can do, Jay Rich. And as far as what I'm reading, my man at church, um, Jay Hawkins, um, wrote a book um, called The Pando Principle. And it is amazing. It's a leadership fable. And um, Jay Hawkins is one of the youngest people ever to be awarded his own Chick-fil-A. He is a business genius, um, but he's not just a business genius. He really cares about people. He loves investing in people. And he's just great. Um, student of leadership and a great writer. And um, the leadership fable is great. I'm actually meeting with Jay and a couple of guys tomorrow to go through it. So I'm rereading it for the third time and I'm enjoying it just as much as I had the other two times. So it's really speaking to me in the season of life that I'm in. So that's what that's what I'm reading and that's what I'm listening to. That's a blessing, man. I didn't know Stephen Hawkins went to church. I said Jay Hawkins, bo. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. <laughs> wow. 
Um, but Chris, I will have to agree with you. That book is one of the greatest books ever. And every year, um, my wife and I, we sit down with our boys and we just kind of sit down and we'll take turns reading chapters and we will read that book with our boys. Um, it's just, I just love the story. Like it's so like it encapsulates the gospel in so many different ways. So, um, we love reading that story around Christmas time as well. Um, I am still reading, um, the character of God's workman by Watchman Nee for my group. I think we're finishing up tomorrow. Actually. Um, I am continuing to read a book about Jay Rich's favorite player, uh, Kobe Bean Bryant entitled showboat by Roland Lazenby, who lives in Virginia, now in Roanoke. Um, very insightful book and Jay Rich. I think you should read it, even though you dislike Kobe. I think you should read it for the simple fact that it will give you more insight and background as to why he is the way he is. Um, it's really opened up my eyes about him as a person, just the stuff that go that went on in his family dynamic. So um, that has been enlightening for me. As far as what I'm listening to, I have taken a break from listening to any kind of music. I just sit and be still, even in the in the car anymore. I don't turn on any kind of music. I just uh, either sit and, and drive and pray or just kind of hum or uh, occasionally turn on sports talk radio. So uh, my beats have taken a break for the time being. Hey, yo, I'm taking a break from music, too, but mine's because the car says the stereo went out in my 1998 minivan. So that joke wasn't intentional. Wow. Look, I heard it sound like some antifreeze poured, like, just, like, I heard so, like a big spill inside the van. Then the next thing I knew, the lights went out in the in the van dashboard and the stereo wouldn't come back on. I was like, yo, what is this? No music, man. You better plug yeah. those iPod. Ear, ear pads in, earbuds in. Yeah, Kristen spilled some sweet tea on the on the car. That's all that is, man. Because I know we saw him eating that chicken, egg, and cheese biscuit. I don't eat eggs. I eat chicken. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, before we before we close, I got two things. Okay, one, you guys are not going to convince me to read fiction. Number one, and then number two, uh, if I want to read about Kobe, I'll just read George's biography since he's. Definitely a knockoff Jordan. I'm no, Jay Rich, I'm telling you, put aside your hate and just read it because these are things that I didn't even know. And I was like, wow, that does. It, it enlightens you as to why he acts the way he does. OK, I, I may Rich. just I may just read it because it's nonfiction. OK, I can do nonfiction. <laughs> Jay Rich. So uh, what kind of bedtime stories do you read your kids like the Bible? Read, like, Tim Keller's. Tim Keller's Counterfeit Gods. It's called the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) It's called Real Life Bible. Like, why do I need to read a story, a fiction story about the gospel when I can read him the gospel? Okay. This dude, this dude is going to read his kids chapter 54 of Walter Martin's Kingdom of Cults. (laughs) My boy, my boy is going to know everything there needs to know about Jehovah's (laughs) Witnesses. You start on that chapter, bro. He gonna be asleep in about five minutes. <laughs> bro, that book is fifty four hundred pages long. He gonna be eighteen before y'all finish. <laughs> wow, we got jokes. Okay, now it's time to end because nobody nobody gets jokes with me. Okay, 
Nein. <laughs> That's been episode 25 of the Boxing One podcast. Thank you guys for joining us. We really appreciate you for sticking with us on this journey. We ask that you just go on over to iTunes, like our page, subscribe to it, leave us a review. Also, we want you to like our Twitter page, our Facebook page. We also have a giveaway that we have through December 6th. Is that right, Chris? Yeah, we're wrapping up the giveaway. So okay. A pair of HD headphones, um, a book by Jay Rich, book by me and my man Andrew Russell with the EP. And hopefully if you get this, you might have one day to enter. But if not, we'll definitely have some more in the future. So no doubt. No doubt. So until next time, we'll catch you guys later and make sure y'all go and check out that nonfiction Kobe book showboat. Peace out.